And we're going to go straight to uh, Roman numeral number three, looking at the king's dream. The king's dream. Uh, last week we ended off with the king's dilemma and looking at how that he was very troubled, uh, but yet he had someone that he trusted very, uh, very much, Daniel, and uh, how that he knew that there was no secret that was too difficult for him to figure out, no puzzle that he couldn't piece together. And so that's a lot of faith that he had in Daniel. So today we're going to start off basically with him uh, telling us of this dream in chapter 4, verse number 10. And I'll read to you verse number 10 and 12, or 10 to 12. It says, Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great, and the tree grew, and it was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. That's pretty positive. This didn't trouble him. He thought this is pretty nice, actually. That's a very nice tree. Uh, so letter A, the description of the tree was revealing the purpose and success of the king. The purpose and the success of the king. And um, so here we have a metaphor that God is using uh, in relation to Nebuchadnezzar, and that's a tree. And the things that's representing this tree is applied to Nebuchadnezzar himself as a king. And so the symbols that God uses here are important to, to show us some things. Um, we're reminded of the importance of a tree and what they do for us. And that would lead us right back, I think, to their creation in the garden. Like, uh, it, that was a big part of his creation. He said, I'm giving you these trees because they're good for food. They're good to, for you. They'll take care of you. You're going you're gonna to live from eating these things. And you know that back in the garden, they didn't eat meat at that point. Not till Genesis chapter 9, after the flood. And so the fruit of trees were very important to mankind. In fact, they, they survived off of them. And so what we have here um, is uh, Nebuchadnezzar being actually uh, compared to a tree that is supposed to be a blessing. And uh, this is why God allows leadership to flourish because he wants to help people, not hurt people. So if you look at a leader being pictured by a tree and that tree becoming very great and supplying, that means that whoever that tree is it's representing is supposed to also supply and take care of and, that, and so forth. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was uh, to the world, to the empire at that point. And so notice what it says here, a couple of things. It was in the midst of the earth, in the midst of the earth. So Babylon was really a central power in the earth at that time. There was no greater kingdom. There was no greater king. He was in the middle. He was the center. And it says that it had great height. And that means that Babylon was very prominent at this time. It, was, uh, it could easily be seen. It was growing was the next thing. Uh, his kingdom was growing. And so this tree, it wasn't just staying a sapling. It was actually growing and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. So this part of the dream was pretty positive, uh, you know, in relation to Nebuchadnezzar. Then it says it reached heaven. It reached heaven. So not only was it just a tree that's providing for people, but it was a part of God's plan. It was a part of what God had designated for for his people Israel and for the people of the world at this time, God allowed this king 
to be in power. Now, Nebuchadnezzar didn't quite get that through his head until this point. Uh, he he kind of thought that, you know, he was a man of his own making, not realizing that God is the one that set him up on that throne. God made him flourish, and God made him to that tree that supplied all the world with what they needed. Uh, and it says the whole earth could see it. Everybody knew knew of him. Everybody knew his kingdom. And so it was not secret. He was very visible. It says it bore much fruit. It produced much goods. Many things were being produced out of his kingdom. And it was food for all people. That means people depended on him to supply them for what they needed to live. What a great responsibility that is. And then it goes on to say that the beasts were shaded by it. That means animals were protected. People were protected. Uh, The birds lived in its branches. That means the birds had places to flourish. Uh, Why do birds go up in the trees? Why is, it that a, why is that the place they like to be? Because it keeps them safe from all the predators that are on the ground. Amen? So it's a place of safety as well. And then all the flesh on the earth was fed from this tree. And so the purpose of the tree is to protect and take care of the people. The purpose of the king was there to protect the people, was there to provide for the people, And that is what God sets up authorities for. So if you become an authority in your home, you become a father, you become a leader, I'll tell you what your purpose is. To protect and provide. Amen? Protect and provide. And so every man has that responsibility for his home. You're the protector, you're the provider. Now we know ultimately that God is the one, just like with Nebuchadnezzar, God is the one that gives the tree the strength to grow and flourish and so forth. You can't do it without him. But yet God still works through human instruments. Amen. He uses you as a leader. And so you need to understand that. That is your responsibility as a leader in the home. That's a responsibility of a government leader, even though they don't get that sometimes. Amen. Uh, But that is their responsibility and they will be held accountable to God for that particular responsibility. So letter B, the destruction of the tree revealed how all would be taken from the king. And so let's look at verse 13 and 14. It says, I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit, let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. And if you look up to verse number 23 of chapter 4, When Daniel gives the interpretation of this particular passage, it says, And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over. So number one, a watcher came down from heaven. Now, I wish I understood all of this. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily understand it, but I do know that what we're referring to here is an angel of some kind. An angel was sent down, a watcher, uh, an angel as a guardian, a holy one. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 13, it says this, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth, to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So God uses angels. Uh, He uses angels today. 
they, they operate today. Now, you may say, I've never seen one. Well, you probably don't, and you probably will never see one. Amen. But they're there, and they're sent forth to minister. They're sent to, to direct things and to protect people and so forth. And we know that uh, there's, there's angels. The Bible says that every child has an angel that goes and presents himself before the Lord on behalf of that child. And so that's where we get the idea of the guardian angels from for our children. Amen. That's scriptural. It really is. So think about that. Amen. Your child has a mighty one, a watcher over, over each one of them to protect them. Amen. And that brings a little comfort. In Psalm 34, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Uh, Psalm 35, verse 5, it says, Let them be as a chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Amen. So we know that angels have an important part, and we'll see that later on in the book of Daniel, uh, very real and vivid aspects of the ministry of angels and that's going to be very exciting as well so number two the tree was chopped down so this watcher says chop the tree down Uh, the king would lose his ability to be seen to be usable to be a shelter to be a supplier basically everything that tree represented was going to be taken down in one swoop just like that and so that was the picture that we have there it would all be taken away number three the branches were cut off now, the branches provided shade. Uh, the branch would, fruit would come forth from the branch. Not anymore, not after it's been cut off. So a tree with no branches can't bear fruit and really isn't to help to anybody. If you find a tree that just sticks up in the air with no branches, tell me what good that is. <laughs> Amen. So branches had a purpose. And he would lose that purpose. Number four, the leaves were shaken off. He says, shake the leaves off. Uh, it gives us a picture of, you know, many of us have done it. We've taken a branch and we've shaken them to see if the leaves would come off. And sure enough, they do. Uh, many of us have seen the, those producers, how they go in and harvest oranges or harvest different things and how they put that vibrator on the tree and they shake <laughs> the daylights out of that tree and everything comes down. Amen. Uh, th- that's what took place. He, he shook off the leaves. The beauty of the kingdom and the leaves are really the beautiful aspect of the tree uh, would be lost to the king. Uh, he would see grass and dirt. That would be his, his uh, future now for the next seven years. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So the Lord is giving us vivid pictures here of our glory as he's cutting down this tree, as he's cutting off those branches, as, as he's shaking those leaves off. He says, this is man. This is what you can do. This is your abilities. Because Nebuchadnezzar would not give glory to God for his leaves, for his branches. He said, this is all about me, is what he was saying. It's all about what I have done. Now the fruit was scattered. Um, like at the end of the season, when the fruit will fall off the trees and lie in the ground, what, did it, what does it do there on the ground? It rots. How many of you go afterwards and pick up fruit off the ground? <laughs> it doesn't take long. And that, when it hits the ground, it immediately begins to rot. 
Amen. So unless you get at it right away, you will not eat that fruit. It will hit the ground. It will stay there until it decomposes and becomes part of the earth. And so <clears throat> the beasts and the birds left as well. There'd be no more shelter provided, no shade from the elements. Those that benefit from it would no longer receive anything. So the next part of this, this vision, so that was the, so we have the, the, the tree, we have the destruction of the tree, and now we have this vision of the stump of this tree. And so that's important for us to understand. The stump of the tree that would be left with roots symbolizes that the kingdom would return to him after seven years. So he didn't take it away forever. He's just taken it away for a time. And verse 15, we'll read that. It says, Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. And verse 26 of uh, chapter 4 it says, And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Amen. See, he is not submitting. He's lacking submission, which means he was full of pride. He was a proud king because he would not submit to what the Lord wanted him to believe and he wouldn't do that he took glory to himself now number one the stump was to be left in the earth with roots the king would not totally be removed his roots were allowed to stay he did become mad and unusable for seven years can you imagine having the the mentality of a beast for seven years now many people think that animals are just like humans and they're absolutely not they don't have the understanding that that we have amen and he lost all of that you know, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I love dogs and, you know, they're, they're fun. We have a dog, you get a little laser beam, you start putting it on the floor and they will chase that thing till probably till Jesus comes if you let them, <laughs> you know, and you know what? They'd never catch it, do they? And I'm just saying like, don't you get this? You, you won't catch the light. And over and over my dog, he comes up to me. I'm studying in my office every day. She'll come and sit at my feet because on my watch, I get a little reflection from the light and she sees it flash on the ground. She waits for that flash so she can jump on it. And that's why she comes to my office. And so I don't even notice her sometimes. She kind of slinks in there and I'm working and all of a sudden, <laughs> just shuffling underneath. Oh, what are you doing? And so then I stop and I kind of catch a light and get it, you know, give her, give her her fix, you know. But she would do that for hours, hours and hours and hours. I don't get it. But that's the understanding of, a, of an animal. Amen. You wouldn't do that, would you? Maybe you would. I don't know. <laughs> Amen. So history at this time shows a period where no progress was made in Babylon. All was at a standstill, but his position was not given to another by God's order. You think about this. Seven years without a king. Seven years with no progress. Seven years with no laws being made, no edicts being uh, decreed, and so forth. And yet, it's waiting for him. Now, how does that work? Like, I would have thought, okay, here he's in the field. I mean, this guy ain't coming back. He's done. But you know something? God held that place. That's why it says that stump was held with iron and brass. Iron is a strong metal. That no man could break this. He's, God says, I'm holding this thing. No matter what they try to do, he will be restored to this kingdom. And brass is a picture of judgment. 
He says, until the chastisement is done, I will hold this root, this stump down. It won't bear forth any fruit. It won't grow anymore. I'm going to hold it here in place seven years, put everything on pause while I speak to this king about his place in my kingdom. Isn't that something? Just shuts down everybody. Everybody just pause just for this one leader, for this king. Quite something. In tender grass field, I thought about that. Why would God say, you know, you're going to go to a tender grass field? Because even within our chastisement, the Lord still takes care of us. He doesn't send them to, you know, a volcano hanging over the edge, (laughs) you know. I'm going to leave you there for seven years and suffer. No, he still brought him. I mean, he lost his understanding. I mean, it surely wasn't a good thing to happen to him, but yet he still gave him the grass field. It shows you that God's still involved. Even when you're under chastisement, even when you feel everything's been taken away, you can be guaranteed there's still a grass field for you. Amen. God did that. Not only that, it says, let it be wet with the dew of heaven. So this, this stump was not allowed to dry out. God kept watering it over and over and over again so that when the time was right, it would flourish again. Amen. So that's just the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. You see, within the middle of all this chastisement and judgment, God says, I'm not here to destroy him. I've got a purpose for this life. He's the gold head of the statue. Now, he thought it was him. (laughs) That's why I think he built that image. And, oh, look at me, I'm the gold head. He didn't understand that the, the statue was talking or the dream was talking about him as the head of gold. But I don't think it was referring to him until after he got saved. <laughs> so until then, he thought he was the, the head of gold. But God says, you ain't nothing yet until I break you. And I think after he broke him, he says, now you're the head of gold. Amen. When you give honor to God, because it's the most valuable metal. <laughs> and that was the most valuable one in the kingdom, of all the kingdoms. And he was the only one that truly gave glory to God. And that was the first empire. Think about that. Let his portion be with the beasts. When you act like a beast, you'll be with the beasts. Someone once said, birds of a feather flock together. Amen. You get two rebels in the room, they'll end up being best friends. (laughs) Yet they never knew each other before. You You will connect with those that have the same mind as you. The same likes as you. The same goals as you. Amen. And that's what... He had a heart that he was it. I'm on top. God says to me, that's a man of no understanding. You don't understand at all your place in my plan. And so he put him with the beast. He says, that's the type of heart you have. (laughs) Amen. He finally got that after seven years. God created man different from than animals. For sure. (laughs) This animal, uh, this beast that he became, this beast didn't look up it looked down when you get the cows in the field how many times you ever seen a cow look up like this (laughs) they're always looking down (laughs) they have no idea about god they have no idea about a relationship with god they don't understand their creator they're just a beast amen and for seven years this man He had no relationship with God. He had no connection with his God. 
He was simply like a beast of the field with no understanding. And you know what? Many people are like that. No better than the beast of the field. That's pride. Pride. We are made to have a relationship with God and to know the importance of that fellowship on a daily basis. Seven years without it. I think after he woke up from that, after his understanding came back, I think he walked with God every day. I think he talked with God every day. Amen. Now his heart has been returned. You know, sin has taken so much from us. It really has. Never get to the point where you think that somehow you've, you've arrived somewhere. Folks, <laughs> you need God every minute of the day. You need to constantly raise your eyes up to him. Constantly pray. Constantly seek his wisdom. Constantly seek his protection. Your family, your, your life, you need his hand on you all the time. Don't ever think that you got it. That you got it under control. You don't. Amen. One day he'll just put you with the beast. And he say, okay, I guess I, I thought I was too big for my britches here. Amen. Uh, the sixth point is, let his heart be changed from a man's to a beast's heart. We just, we just talked about that. Um, when men refuse to submit to God and take responsibility, according to God's plan, they lose their heart to their own madness. And the Bible says that you'll be taken by the cords of your own sins. Your own sins. You've got to be careful of that when you go your own way. <laughs> your own way will get you. Amen. That will be the cords that takes you down. People start behaving foolishly and harmfully toward others when their success is for themselves and not for God. Then it says, until seven times pass over. Seven is a number of perfectness. The, the, the world was, was made and the day of rest was on the seventh day. It was a, uh, a day of completion. It was a day that it is finished. A day of rest from everything. The chastisement was to be complete. Not too soon. Not too late. Right on time. Amen. And you can be sure if God puts you under chastisement, he's not going to let go too soon. He's not going to let go too late. At the right time, he's going to let you get back to where you need to be. Amen? That's why we need to submit. Uh, that's why Jeremiah, when everybody was brought to Babylon, he told them, he said, just submit. Because this chastisement was of God. God is bringing you into captivity to Babylon. That's God. And yet, Zedekiah wouldn't submit. He wouldn't give in. Amen? And that's why Zedekiah was ultimately killed. But all these people were brought into captivity because of their lack of submission. Amen. Number four, the king's warning. The king's warning. So in verse 24, it says this. Daniel's interpretation. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. That they shall drive thee from men... And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. They shall wet thee with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, 
Thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that shalt have known that the king heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. The first thing I wanted to bring out on this, letter A, Daniel was appalled at the dream, which means he wasn't happy about it. He wasn't rejoicing in it. In fact, it really disturbed him. It really disturbed me. I wonder why. Well, I think just the fact of God's uh, marvelous power and ability to do something like that. But I think not only that, I think that he actually cared about Nebuchadnezzar. I think he almost looked at him as somewhat of a friend at this point. You can tell that by their language. Then, that, then Daniel, verse 19, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for one hour. And his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. So the word astonished actually means appalled. It means to be taken by surprise. It means dumbfounded at something and as well as amazed. So after Daniel heard the dream, he was astonished for one, one hour. He just kind of just, <laughs> what? You know, not because he didn't know what it meant, but because he did know what it meant. He wasn't sitting there for an hour. I don't understand what's happening. He says, I know exactly what's happening. And this is awesome. This is appalling. This is amazing. And for one hour, he couldn't speak about it because he understood exactly what God was going to do. He wished it was for Nebuchadnezzar enemy, enemies, not him. He says, let it be for thine enemies, but not for you. <laughs> he didn't want him to go through this. He says, I want your enemies to go through this. He had already had a heart for this king and didn't desire him to experience his judgment. And this shows the true heart of a prophet. They would see the truth and they would grieve for those that could not see it. Many times Jeremiah wept. In fact, he's called the weeping prophet because he saw everything so clearly because God made it so clear yet the people could not see. And so he wept for them. If it's easy for you to judge and proclaim destruction, you are not a true heart like Daniel. Amen. If it's so easy for us to bring judgment upon people and to glory in someone's suffering and judgment, well, we don't have the true heart of a prophet. Because the true heart of the prophet <coughs> weeps for them. Doesn't want that for the people. Nebuchadnezzar deserved it. No doubt about it. But yet, Daniel's heart still thought, you know, this is, I don't want this to happen to him. Amen. So true. Letter B, Daniel reveals the dream is a, is a decree of God. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon the Lord the King. A decree is a predetermined purpose of God, the purpose or determination of an immutable being whose plan of operations is, like himself, unchangeable. So he knew when he gave this decree that Nebuchadnezzar, this is unchangeable. There is no escaping this judgment. 
He knew that. He knew it was unchangeable. But notice what he says here, and I'll give you a letter C. Daniel counsels the king to break off sins and iniquities to give the king more time. <laughs> so he's saying these things aren't going to save you from the judgment. All he was saying is these may give you more time until it happens. That's all Daniel could do because he knew it was a decree. It was going to happen. So in verse 27, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. A lengthening is what he's saying there. So to break off means to renounce. It means to tear oneself away from something, to break off from something. And he was talking about the practice of wicked oppression of certain classes of society. He was saying, I, I see that you're not behaving right here. You're sinning. Break off from those sins. Break them off. <laughs> and by the way, if you feel the chastising hand of God in your life, the best thing you can do is break off those sins by righteousness. Turn away from the sin and turn to righteousness. I always tell people, you know, when you're, when you're sowing seeds, the Bible says you will always reap what you sow. And if you're sowing bad seeds, those seeds are going to come up whether you like it or not. That's a decree of God. You're going to reap what you sow. But all I know is this, the moment you begin to make a decision that I'm going to break off those sins and I'm going to, to now sow seeds of righteousness, the sooner I do that, the sooner the crop of righteousness can come up. So if I'm just going to, this is most people, this is the way we are because we don't live by faith. We live by sight. We're sowing bad seed. We're sowing bad seed. We're reaping just like any seed. It takes about two, three months for that seed to come to full bloom. And you know what? Also, we're reaping the consequence. So somebody tells you, break off your sins with righteousness. You say, yeah, but what's the purpose anyways? What's the use? I'm reaping all this bad stuff. <laughs> well, if you keep sowing these seeds, you're going to continue to reap bad stuff. <laughs> Amen? So they're giving you a warning. They're saying, hey, sow good seeds. So that, sure, maybe uh, a couple of months while you're sowing the good seed, you're still reaping some of the bad crop. But if you can have faith with God, it'll be a couple of months and all of a sudden your, your new crop's going to come up. See, the Lord even chastises by faith. Amen? <laughs> but you know how many people continue to sow bad seed <laughs> because they're too discouraged about the crop that they're already reaping. It doesn't make sense <laughs> why we would be like that if we knew that as soon as we start sowing good seed, that immediately that will germinate and start to come up. Amen? And it may take a couple of months. Be patient. <laughs> That's what faith is all about. Faith is believing what God said without seeing it. Amen? And you make a decision by faith Ultimately, you will see the result of that decision. Amen? It's a faith decision. So he says, break off. Sins are truly only broken off when one does right. <laughs> well, I said sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, Cain said sorry too. He was sorrowing deeply. And that's what sorry means, just sorrow, sorrow. 
I've seen a lot of people that done sin sorrowing, but not all of them were sorrowing because what they did. They were sorrowing because what happened because of what they did. They were sorrowing for the consequence, not for the sin. And Cain, he, had, he didn't have a godly sorrow. He had a worldly sorrow. And that worldly sorrow meant nothing to God. He says, that's not repentance. But only godly sorrow leadeth you to repentance. <laughs> only a sorrow of, of transgressing God and going against God is what's going to actually ultimately make you change your life. You won't break off your sins otherwise. It's always going to be a, a year after year crying about all the things I have to go through because of what I've done. Your whole life is like that. There's got to come a time where you've got to move past this stuff. You've got to move past your past. You've got to move past your foolish decisions. You've got to start making right decisions and, and get past that. Confess it and get it dealt with so you can move on. Amen. But a person that's constantly using the same old, same old sorrow story. <laughs> that's not a person that's repentant. That's a person with worldly sorrow, just like Cain. Oh, it's too much for me to bear. People are going to see me and kill me, God. Uh, you, then he put a mark on his head. Okay, <laughs> I'll mark you and everybody will know if they kill you, I'll judge them. Oh, thank you very much. And then he says, bye-bye. Bye-bye. In other words, that was the last day that God spent with Cain. Because Cain didn't want God. Cain didn't care about him. Cain just wanted, wanted what Cain wanted. And he was just happy that nobody just, nobody hurts me. And he went on with his life, built cities, and had corrupt people come from him, corrupt families. In fact, his family is what grew to be the wicked generation at the time of Noah's flood. The family of Cain. Think about it. Um, move on. Number two, showing mercy will cause one to obtain mercy. Notice what he says, thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. So he's saying you can break off thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Showing mercy. And if it may be a lengthening, thy tranquility. Tranquility is prosperity. It means a peaceful condition. It means national security. It means a prosperity in a city or a nation. And he's saying, if you break off these things, it may be that the Lord will hold back his judgment and you'll enjoy this tranquility for a longer period of time. But Daniel knew it's a decree. It's going to happen. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Psalm 10, verse 2. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Ezekiel 16, 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Many of us, we think of Sodom, what do you think about? Homosexuality. And you know what? It was a sin. But God says that's not the sin. You know what the real sin is? Pride. They thought they could live life without God, without submitting to Him, without letting God be the one that rules their lives. And you know what? The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, when you do that, that God withdraws Himself from you. 
and gives you over to reprobate mind. So the lifestyle was simply an, an evidence or a symptom of a bigger problem. And that problem was the same problem that Lucifer had, and that was pride. Isn't that something? What kind of prides do they have? Pride. That's what's behind it. Don't ever get fooled by that language, the love and tolerance language. That's not what they want. They're very intolerant of God. They don't want God's rulership over their life. They don't want to submit to the word of God. Amen. I hope we do. I hope we're in submission. I hope we're following everything that God said. If not, we ourselves, we're living in pride. Same thing that Sodom had. Pride. Fullness of bread. An abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So Sodom, the pride, fullness of bread, didn't have need of anything. Oh, we got food every day. Uh, abundance of idleness. Lazy. Not productive was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the She had no heart for the poor people. That was the object of their jokes because they had fullness. We have bread. So when they saw a poor person, they would put them down. They wouldn't strengthen them. They wouldn't give them food. They wouldn't help them. Amen. Psalm 31, verse 23, O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentiful rewardeth the proud doer. <laughs> Amen. Plentiful rewardeth the proud doer. So Daniel understood the importance of doing right and showing mercy to others. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar's harsh judgments and treatment of the poor was worthy of God's judgment. But you know what? He didn't mention pride. <laughs> And that was at the heart of Nebuchadnezzar's sin, was pride. He looked at his thing, and we'll look at it right now. Number five, the king's pride. We're going to read verse number 29 to 33. It says, and at the end of 12 months, so what happened to this lengthening? <laughs> Here, Daniel, hey, break off from thy sins, that the Lord may lengthen thy tranquility. 12 months go by. One year. That's not a very long lengthening. Amen. <laughs> Hezekiah, when he prayed after he knew he was going to die, he prayed to God and humbled himself before the Lord. The Lord gave him 15 years more to live. 15 years. So obviously Nebuchadnezzar did not do what Daniel said. He did not humble himself. He did not break off his sins. He did not treat the, the poor uh, with mercy and so forth. He continued down the same old road he was at. He did not change. And 12 months later, God says, now's the time. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Whoa! This is what it says. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. 
and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat as grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men. And I thought about that, he was driven from men. So here he's in the palace. He's in his room. He's in the place that he finds, this is my place. He turns into a beast. What's the first thing his servants do? There's a beast in the room. So what do they do? They drive him out. (laughs) They get themselves a stick, (laughs) whatever they had, a sword, and start, get out of here, you. And drove him out of the palace so he had no place to go but the field. So the Lord knew exactly what was going to happen. He was going to be driven out by his own people because of his wild heart. Obviously, the king didn't take Daniel's advice. Letter A, the king revealed his heart of pride by his words. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? You know, what comes out of your mouth is very much revealing what's in your heart. In Luke 19, 22, And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down and reaping that I did not sow. Luke six forty five. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. All I know is when I hear somebody what they say, what I'm getting is what they're really about. Now, I'm not talking about the fake stuff. I'm talking about when you get down to the real stuff, when they reveal themselves, many times by accident. (laughs) Amen. They're revealing what's truly in their heart. This day, there was nobody around for the king to impress. He wasn't trying to convince the servants of his position. He was by himself in his room. (laughs) He looked out at his kingdom. Me. Me, me, me. And it came out of his mouth. Wow, Lord help us. (laughs) Amen. I look at this church. This isn't me. This is God. I hope you think this is God, because if you don't, you think it's you. (laughs) Amen. And if it's you, then you're in a big problem right now. It's God. God does these things. God builds these things. God establishes your life. He will bless your life. Look at the job you have. Where did you get that? God. What about the ability to work? Where did you get that from God? Do you think he could take your ability? Yes, he can. It's time that we get real about his place in our life, that he does rule from heaven. He has rule from heaven. And that's why the prayer, even the disciples' prayer is, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Because we know it's him working out his plan. Number one, the king refused to submit to God's ruling power. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power? My power. Well, God showed him that he didn't have much power. Might is, it refers to the strength of the royal sovereign. It's my might. I'm the royal sovereign around here. I'm the one with power. He he found out real quick that the Lord could take all of that from him in a moment. In a moment of time. 
Power refers to the authority and the influences given to a king in order to rule a kingdom. That was God's too. So the power to rule. That's why the Bible says that the Lord holds the hearts of the king in his hand. And as a river of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Why is it? How is it that God can turn the heart of a king? Because the power of that king is not the king's power. It's the power of God. Amen. That's why we don't fight the king. (laughs) We turn to the God (laughs) of the king. Say, Lord, please turn the heart of the king. What are we going to do now? We're praying for a building. What are we going to do? Saying, Lord, you need to turn the heart of the people within this situation to favor us. Amen. Because he's the one with power. Let us never be look straight at them and say, oh, they've got the power. We're no better than Nebuchadnezzar. Amen. By the might of your power, by the might of my power. No, no, by the might of his power. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. It says that he ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Ruleth is mastery. So when you have the rule, you have the mastership. You have the mastery of that situation. And God has the mastery. He has the mastery over the kingdom. I don't see how they didn't get that after he showed them in that dream all these different things that would take place. He should have realized that day that God has the mastery. He ruleth from from on high. Amen. Second thing is, the king refused to give honor to the Lord's majesty. He says, was this not for the honor of my majesty? (laughs) Honor indicates an attitude of respect and great appreciation. And majesty is magnificence. That's where the word comes from. So what he wouldn't do is he wouldn't respect the magnificence of God. He glorified his own magnificence. I like this verse here in First Chronicles 29, verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. That's powerful. You know who that is? That's David. He was a king too. <laughs> Amen. That's a different king. That's a different kind of king. David, the king, understood that everything that he had is because of God. Everything. He knew that from a young boy that was all about God. He, the, I like one of the Psalms says that he never exercised himself in great matters. Some of us think that we got to be with the big boys to be a big boy. <laughs> you just got to be with God to be what God wants you to be. David said, I don't exercise myself in great matters. I don't get and push, push myself into places so that I look important or I can do important things. <laughs> That's all pride. Amen. He understood this position of king that I have. It's because God put me here. All my brothers were lined up and I wasn't even there. I was sitting out in the field watching the sheep. And guess what? God didn't look over me. He found me there. And I was still anointed. (laughs) Amen. But if he would have been a proud young boy, he said, Oh, how can my brothers be there and I can't? And he would have pushed himself into the lineup. I wonder if he would have got anointed. That's how many of us operate. We push ourselves in. 
We think we want to be the big guy. We want to be the important guy. We want to promote ourselves. We want to be the one calling the shots. That was not a David. That was a Nebuchadnezzar. David said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. What more can he say? <laughs> Amen. What more can he say? He covered it right there in that passage. That's powerful. Letter B, the king heard a voice from heaven declaring his judgment. And we saw that already. I'm going to go quickly here. Um, letter C, the king became like a beast in the field. As a result of that judgment. The same hour, it says in verse 33, was a thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. My, he must have been quite a sight. Now number six, we're going to look at the king's humility and we'll be done. Verse 34 to 37 says, And at the end of the days... This is so good. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. Wow. And mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of men, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me in the glory of my kingdom. Mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Amen. Whoo. I'll tell you, this guy had a come to Jesus meeting and he found Jesus. Amen. I'll tell you something. God did a good work in him. Letter A, the king's perspective changed. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. A beast looking to the ground, the cows looking to the ground, always looking to the ground. But the moment his understanding, his eyes went up to heaven. His perspective changed immediately. Letter B, the king's understanding returned. Because his eyes lifted up to heaven, now he received understanding. Meaning knowledge, reason, intelligence, power of knowing. He spent seven years not knowing, no reason or intelligence. Just a big dummy. All he knew was to eat grass and to go washroom. That's it. All those years, seven years. At the same time, my reason returned unto me. Letter C, the king's words changed. His words changed. The first thing is he blessed the most high. The word blessed means to kneel. He kneeled down. Number two, he praised and honored him that liveth forever. That means adore and glorify and magnify he magnified his everlasting dominion. He had a 
his evaluation of man's ability changed. This is interesting. Men are reputed as nothing. That's where he, that's how it changed. His idea of men changed. Can somebody give me, uh, do you have another worksheet there, Levi? I think I changed my numbers. I just don't want to mess up here. So men are reputed as nothing. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. To be reputed means to regard or to account as. There's really no credit that we can claim, no power we can brag on, no abilities that are profitable. We have no way of doing anything that achieves any value on our own. That's what he came to in his perspective. He's, this is how our perspective has changed. Let me see that for a second. This is Madeline's. Are you drawing pictures again? <laughs> in Bible college, she would always draw pictures. <laughs> Amen. It helped her remember things. The king's evaluation of man's, uh, of man's ability changed. Uh, men are reputed as nothing. Number two. Now, let me just go to this verse before we do that. Proverbs 21, verse 4. Listen to this. In high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. What does that mean? What's the plowing? What's plowing? Plowing is putting your plow in the field and turning up the dirt. Why do you do that? Well, to plant. So a wicked man plowing in the field to God, he says, that's sin. Why? Why is that sin? Now, if a believer does it, chances are it's not sin. Because a wicked man won't give God glory for it. A wicked man thinks it's some, some kind of evolution. They think it's some kind of a ability of his ability as a farmer to produce. He doesn't give God glory for that seed turning into what it needs to turn into. He doesn't believe in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that talk about God creating the trees and all the different kinds that they can produce the seed within themselves so that people can eat and live and so forth. He doesn't give glory to God. Everything a wicked man does, that to that wicked man is productive, the Lord says it's sin until you give me glory for it. Wow. And high look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. So when Nebuchadnezzar said, man is reputed as nothing, they're nothing. He finally got it. Number two, men cannot stop the Lord. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand. Stay means to smite or to strike. No man can smite God or strike him to stop him from doing what he's going to do. Men have been fighting God since the beginning. The king came to the conclusion that fighting God is futile. You cannot smite God. You cannot stop him from doing what he's doing. This is an important statement, especially in light of the empires and the desire of men to fight Christ at Armageddon. He's giving a prophecy. He's giving an insight to the empires to come. He's saying, all you rulers, you cannot stay the hand of God. 
And yet since that time, man after man after man has tried to smite and stay the hand of God, and not one of them have ever been successful. Revelation 17, or look, uh, Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. That means majority doesn't rule with God. Amen. You could all join together. And many times, even in the book of Joel, he says, come on, guys, get your armies together. Come on, meet me here. Speaking of the battle of Armageddon, he says, come on, take me on and I'll show you. (laughs) Though hand be joined in hand, he says, you're an abomination to me and you will be punished. Don't think that you get everybody on your side. Somehow you're winning the battle. You can have one man standing alone and he may just whoop you with God's power. You be careful you're on the right side, on God's side, in everything you do. Amen? Amen. Revelation 17, verse 12, it says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Amen. I'll tell you something, you can't beat God. Boy, when Jesus Christ comes again in Revelation chapter 19, let's read this. It says, Verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. The Bible says we'll be following him on white horses. He was saying, I'll take care of these guys. (laughs) He said, these are my called, my chosen, my faithful. Aren't you glad you're on his side? Oh, you better act like you're on his side. Amen. How you live down here proves it. It proves it. You be faithful to God. You be faithful to his principles. Don't you think you'll stand on your own? You will not. He will take you down. You can't smite God. You can't stay his hand. That's a fearful thing. Well, I'm not scared of God because God is good. (laughs) God is good, but everything he said will come to pass. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the thing that causes us to apply the knowledge of the Word of God to our life. Because anybody that does not fear God will not obey what the Bible says. Because they don't believe it. Oh, God's not going to do that. Yes, He will. Any man that knows what God can do will wholeheartedly give himself to follow the Lord. Amen. And if you're not wholeheartedly following the Lord, you do not fear God. You do not. You're a counterfeit. You're a hypocrite. Amen. I'm not saying you don't got problems. I'm not saying you don't have weaknesses. But in your heart, you're waking up every day and saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to do right every day. If it costs me everything I have, I want to do right. That's how important it is for us to fear God. (laughs) You look at the end of the picture. He's going to smite the nations with a sword out of one mouth. You can't smite God. Your attitude, me, your attitude to work on people. You can manipulate people. You can't manipulate God. Amen. Number three, men cannot question the Lord. 
He says, or say unto him, what doest thou? What doest thou? <laughs> you know, Job 9 verse, oh, people do that today. So why would God do this? Why would God allow this? And they're all mad at God. You don't have the right to question him. He is God and he'll do what he needs to do. And what he's going to do is the best thing for you. Amen. As hard as it is to take. In Job 9 verse 12 it says, Behold, he taketh away. Who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? Job got that. He says, He'll take what he wants from me. Who am I to say, What are you doing, God? What right do you have? But people today, they're so proud they do that to God. They get right in his face. It's like Nimrod. Amen. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 4 where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? That's only a person that doesn't understand the power of our king of kings. A person that questions our God. Amen. When there is authority, there is always a carefulness of questioning the reasons as to why they do something. If you're one of these proud people that are always in the face because I'm not scared of anybody, there's something wrong with your Christianity. Because the Bible says there's no authority but that of God. Every man that rules a household is a man that's set up by God. And there ought not be anybody questioning that man's position in his home. You understand that? I hate to bring up pastoring, but, but this is one of them too. I know it's not a real one to people's eyes, but it is. I think one day you're going to see that before God. He's going to show you exactly what this all meant that's going on here at Ergy Baptist Church. Ezekiel 12, verse 9, Son of man, hath not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said unto thee, What doest thou? <laughs> Rebellion. Rebels say, What doest thou? Rebels are the ones always attacking and questioning, not submitting. It's the rebellious ones. Letter D, the kingdom was restored and excellent majesty was added to him. And at the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. That tells me that this tree that we saw before became greater than it's ever been before. But now it's not because of him. Now he says it's all God. He's doing this. He gets the glory. Amen. So the Lord says, if that's what you believe, let me add unto you. Amen. You want blessing in your life? I'll tell you what to do. You give God glory for your life. You take the little that you have. You say, Lord, I give you glory for this. You don't question him. You don't, you don't attack him. You don't, you don't get bitter at him for the little that you have. You give him glory for the little that you have. He says, then let me add unto that. Let me add to that. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar wasn't expecting to be added to, but he, he said it was added, excellent majesty was added unto me. Amen? Wow, that's good. Letter E. The king's lesson was learned. I like this in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Amen? He's telling the story of all of, his, all of his mischief, all of his stupidity, the way he was, and now he comes down to the crunch. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar. This is different now. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. 
all whose works are truth, in his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. There's his lesson. His lesson is that if we lift up ourselves, God will take us down. Leviticus 26, 19 says, And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass. Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. That's the lowly. Those that look at themselves lowly before God. You don't have to walk around, around people with your, oh, I'm, I'm so much worse than you. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about humility before God. See, most people that pretend that they're humble around people aren't humble before God. <laughs> but a person that is truly humble before God isn't walking around like they're less than everybody else. Because they know we're all of the same dirt. <laughs> Amen. It's like Jesus, remember? Writes on the dirt. This is you. <laughs> Amen. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, watch that haughty spirit. Oh, you've got everything together. You've got your plan all worked out. Haughty spirit. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. Pride goeth before destruction. If there's pride in your life, you've got to get ready because destruction is coming. You're going to fall. You're going to be destroyed. Oh, humble yourself. If you think there's pride in your life tonight, you need to humble yourself because I'm going to tell you something. This is a decree of God. A decree of God means that if you have pride today and you're living your life by pride, you will be destroyed. And if you have a haughty spirit here today, you will fall. That's a decree of God. Isaiah 2 verse 12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. How about James 4 verse 6? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Hey folks, do you feel resisted? When you're proud, you get resisted. Are you resisted tonight? Everybody's resisting me. There's something wrong with you. Because a humble person isn't resisted. A humble person receives grace. I know it's everybody else's fault but yours. But that's your pride. And your pride's going to take you down. Amen. So it says... Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because that pride in your heart, that's not of God. That's of Satan. So when you feel that pride in your heart, you have to say, No, God, that is filthy, wicked, and ungodly. And I humble myself before you. I am nothing. I submit to you, God. (laughs) You submit to him, the devil runs away. He will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 5, and we'll be done. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. 
For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. I'm going to tell you something today. If you are not of a humble spirit in this church, you're, you're being resisted by God. It's talking about men. It's talking about submitting to people. It's talking about your attitude towards people. Wives towards husbands. Children towards parents. Employees to employers. Church members to pastors. Uh, citizens to the government leaders. Do you understand that? I know you want to write your own rule book, but it doesn't work that way. He said, submit yourselves. Be clothed with humility. In the Old Testament, they would take sackcloth and ashes. They would put sackcloth on and they'd put ashes on their head. And that was a sign that they were humbling themselves. God says, I don't want you to put on sackcloth, but I want you to take humility and drape it over you like they would take sackcloth in the Old Testament. Amen. Boy, I'll tell you, it'll save your life. You will not receive the grace of God until you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Amen. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson. He says, I thought I was so high. I thought I had it all under control. I could call my own shots. I didn't submit to anyone. And I end up being a beast of the field. And I'll tell you, anybody that falls into sin and backslides, that is your story. That is your story. You know why you backslid? Pride. You thought you could do it on your own. You could do, thought you could do it without submission. You can't. If you don't submit, you will fall. Pride goeth before destruction.